creativity is a very fluid and dynamic thing and you can't just like, okay, sweet, that is the one thing I'm following. Because when you say yes to a lot of stuff, you can find yourself in places that you would not anticipate, uh, but in the best way, because you'll still be able to like take that and apply it to so many different mediums. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for listening. Nice to have you on board. Hope you've been up to something good in your creative time. What's going on? Tell me about them projects. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me all your fantasies. Your... <laughs> the weather this week is tropical just because I'm in a nasty tropical t-shirt today because it's muggy in Manchester and it's as close as we get to a nice summer here. Joking aside, how are you doing? I hope you're well. What's going on? Uh, quickly, we'll get into it shortly because we've got a banging episode coming up today. Off the back of a live podcast, it's only the second live Arrest All Mimics that I've done with Anna Hollingrick this time out. The first one was with Brian Grimwood, wonderful illustrator of over 50 years, I do believe. We did that with the Association of Illustrators and this time around, I did it at New Blood Festival down in London just over a week. So DNAD have been very supportive to the show and they gave me the opportunity to talk to the wonderful... Anna Hollinrake, who is an illustrator and art director for video games. So we will get into that shortly, but like I said, quickly, a little thank you to the sponsors. Illustrationweb.com, fantastic illustration agency supporting many, many different artists globally, uh, providing the likes of hand lettering services, editorial illustration, advertising illustration, uh, packaging illustration, live product stuff. They're very, very broad and the t- chances are they can provide you something for whatever it is you need in v- visual communication. It's a mouthful. Illustrationweb.com, founding sponsor, been here since day one. Go and check them out. Theaoi.com, Association of Illustrators. Fantastic organisation. Um, kind of a trade union for the illustration game. Go back and check out episode 44 for a more in-depth account of what they are about. Uh, doing fantastic work, including the recent business empowerment campaign. So go check them out, theaoi.com. Um, right, we're going to get into it shortly with Anna Hollinrick, but first, I just got to say, going to be taking a little break from this thing soon. So don't worry, it's not the end. Um, but I've been doing this thing for getting on for four years now, and I've got to say, I wasn't exaggerating when I said it's been like the fourth, third, I don't know which number, but it's <laughs> it's been a new instalment of my education, creative education. That's what this has been. Getting on for 150 episodes if you top up all the two parts and the rest of it. But this wasn't the plan. So I'm an illustrator, and I forget that sometimes. And it's been a long time since I've focused on my illustration studio and my artwork. I've kind of been doing the work that's been brought to me by my agency. I've been picking up bits here and there. It's been earning me a living. But along the way somewhere, I wanted to explore all different kinds of my creativity, and I always will. And off the back of Champagne and Wax Crayons, my debut book, this opportunity, thanks to the support of Harry Lyon Smith at illustrationweb.com, one of the sponsors, <laughs> um, founding sponsor, came about. So he suggested to me that I might be good for podcasting, and that's what I went away and tried with their support. So a big thank you to those guys for getting behind the show for all this time. And along the course of, I know it's a cliche, but that journey, um, I've had so much fun, I've made so many friends, I've heard so many fascinating stories from wonderful, interesting humans, but there comes a point with anything where you reach a saturation point, and I wouldn't quite say I'm there, but it's looming on the horizon, 
and that old expression, you've got to kill your darlings sometimes. Well, I think it's time for a break. I'm not going to go into detail, but there's uh, some big personal things coming up on the horizon. And I basically want to get just back into being an illustrator again for a little while. So I'm going to have a short break. I'm not going to put a time limit on that break. But what I will say is I'm still going to drop the odd episode here and there. But the obligation side of doing this thing every other week and, and providing a strong episode just started a little bit to feel like it's taking away from what I am at the core of this, which is an artist, what I've always wanted to do and what I am. Um, so for those reasons, being totally honest with you all you guys, I'm going to take a little break. So this is not the last episode. There's going to be two more episodes. We've got Cam Masson coming up, who is a designer of all different kinds, a visual artist working in large-scale interactive environments. It's a fascinating episode. And after that, we've got Dion Kitchen coming up, where we're going to talk about self-promotion, a bit of a self-promotion special. So I thought I'd leave you with a strong one, something that you can... Uh, get something from not that you can't get something from the other episodes but i've always found that the the pricing creativity the mental health kind of episodes the ones where there's a theme and there's a takeaway point have gone down a storm uh, and i think it's a strong one with dion so i'm going to leave you with that so that will take us into about mid-august i do believe and from there on out i'm going to take a little breather for the rest of the year and we'll reassess after that but I will drop the odd episode, but it's not going to be such a regular thing anymore. I think it's going to be a less is more approach. So that's that. A little bit of big housekeeping news there. So for any of the regulars who've, who've been supportive all along, a big thank you. It's not the end, but it's a little breather. Um, and I'm going to reassess what a rest on the mix is. And who knows, maybe it'll spring up in some new format. Maybe it will just drip feed the odd episode. I don't know. So I will let you know when I do know. Um the archive will remain up on the website because that is this is my thing this is I believe in creativity and this is my way of kind of trying to share all these experiences that people have had because I've learned so much and I hope you guys have had too the feedback has been wonderful I do think that's the case so thank you to anyone who's listened and all that lot we'll get to some proper goodbyes on uh, Dion's episode when we get there but for now let's get into Anna Hollinrick because she's awesome and we had a wonderful live podcast at DNAD Festival so thank you to Nicola who made that happen uh, and the rest of the guys at DNAD and the people who came and saw it live on the day and, uh, the feedback was wonderful and I had such a good time so I wanted to dip into game design because I haven't ever been there on this show in nearly 150 episodes we sat down and we get talking about um, Anna's childhood and how she was a, a young geek, how she drew anime, and that was one of her activation points. And we're going to talk about how that career got started in the world of video games, why character is equally as important as CV and technical qualifications. We're going to get talking about why you have to be versatile while she shifts between various roles on the job, from world building to actually working with character designers and prop designers and there's this whole fascinating world and as someone who used to have this fascination with video games how Final Fantasy 7 was one of my trigger points for actually wanting to create something I didn't know what that was I didn't know what illustration was I didn't know what game design was I didn't know how any of this stuff I was passionate about came to life in the real world and how anyone might make money from that so there we are there we are um, I hope you get something from this episode because it's a fascinating one. Uh, thanks to DNAD for producing some actual decent audio quality because as any long-term listeners of the show will know, it's a little bit rough around the edges, this thing. It's part of the charm, that's what I say. We'll leave it there. <laughs> I could go on forever. Um, 
yeah, I think that's about it. Let me know your feedback at Arrest or Mimics on the social. Cheers for the feedback on the previous episode. Kev House episode went down a storm talking about managing the inner mind so for anyone who wrestles with their thoughts, loses confidence, all the stuff that we as freelance creatives struggle with. Uh, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. It's a belter and Kev articulates that stuff better than I ever could. So without further ado, you find me at DNAD New Blood Festival in the Truman Brewery with Anna Hollenrich, illustrator and art director for video games. Enjoy. Hello everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining us today for this very special um, live recording of Arrest All Mimics. I'm going to leave Ben to do the proper intro for listeners because um, it wouldn't be the same. But just for you guys, we have Ben Tallinn, uh, the host, author, and illustrator. Um, and we have Anna Hollenrake, um, who is an illustrator and uh, art director from Carrot Animation. I'll hand it over to you, Ben. Cheers. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Nice. Well, cheers for coming. It's always a relief to see a room full of people, not ghosts. So that's good. Um, so yeah, this is only the second live Arrest on the Mix that I've ever done. So it's exciting. It's cool to do it at New Blood, and I hope it's all been going well. Um, so video games, games, it's the first time I've done anything with them. So I'm hoping Anna's going to know her stuff. I will, I will endeavour to fill you in with as much information as I know, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So yeah, it's cool. It's exciting. It's exciting and um, it's sometimes really nice to come at these things with very limited knowledge because... Mm-hmm. I'm not just asking about things I already know, so yeah. that's cool. So, well, let's start with a little bit about what you do today and your current role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hello everyone, uh, I'm Anna Hollenrake. Uh, I am currently an art director at Carrot Animation, which is still a very strange thing to say, um, but I've been working in games and animation for about five years now. Uh, I made the jump over to animation about a year ago, um, but as a general rule, I do concept art, I do visual development art, I do uh, world building, uh, environment art, and kind of generally curating a world that feels very kind of like loved and lived in. Um, so uh, that kind of can take shape in uh, doing 2D art in Photoshop, uh, doing concepts, uh, but I am also able to take that through into 3D as well, so I've done a lot of 3D art as well, uh, working in game engines such as Unity and Unreal Engine. So I like doing too much stuff, is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I just like to dip my toe in every single pool I can find, uh, but that has worked out quite well because now I do art direction because I guess I've got a broad enough view over stuff. So yeah, that's kind of that's what I'm up to at the moment. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get, we're going to get deeper into all that stuff, but I always like to start these things with very early roots. So mm. what kind of kid were you? Like, what's your background? Were you, did you have any obvious creative tendencies? Or were you... Yeah, I mean, I first wanted to be a doctor um, because I got freaked out by cuddly toys and I liked my anatomically correct skeleton more than like my Sylvester toy and that kind of thing. Like I was very attached to my um, uh, like stethoscope and my, uh, my, my microscope, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm quite glad I went away from that because I know a few doctors and they're incredibly stressed and I don't want that level of responsibility. So I've chucked that all in and I'm going to do art now. Um, but I was very creative as a child. I definitely lived in my own head. I was definitely a bit weird. Um, I wanted to be a writer for a while. Um, I would just kind of make things, like I'd make weird contraptions. I, I re- recently revealed to my mother when, that when I was about eight, I would like make flying machines and throw myself off increasingly high walls just to like try and 
Um, so I've always been a little bit kind of just in my own head, a little bit out there to the detriment of my bones, I suppose. Um, but I kind of around maybe 10 or 11, like I really started to get into computers. I'd always very much been into computers. Um, I taught myself uh, how to make choose your own adventure games uh, in basic when I was about nine. Um, and so I just lived on the computer. And I also loved making things. So around about when I was 13, I think I stumbled upon some um, like anime kind of manga sketches on like a GeoCities website. GeoCities. Um, <laughs> and I uh, was obsessed with them, completely consumed. Uh, and one of my, so my dad teaches guitar, so quite a creative family. Um, he agreed to swap guitar lessons with uh, this other guy if he would teach me how to use PaintShop Pro and also learn HTML. Um, so I did a little bit of that, uh, and I kind of poured myself into digital art. Like, digital art just clicked for me. Um, but I was mostly doing uh, manga and anime, but I sucked at line work, like, terrible. Um, and it was some somewhat questionable drawing. It was, it was, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, but I poured myself into that, uh, like, obsessively to the detriment of maths, like, my sketchbook was thrown in the bin. <laughs> like, they were not... My teachers were probably not that happy with me. Um, but I ended up kind of digging into that as uh, what appealed most to me. Um, and so, eventually, once I had finally accepted that I was very bad at line work and manga was not my future, um, I discovered concept art. And uh, the place where I saw that happen most was on DeviantArt, and everyone there was like, I'm doing concept art for video games. Um, I want to do this for uh, like Final Fantasy or something. Um, and then I had like this crystallizing moment when I was playing Fable 3, uh, in which, I don't know if anyone's played Fable 3, it's quite old, um, but it's got uh, loading screens, which are fake posters. And I had this moment of, oh my god, someone made that? Like, that's actually like, a human creation, like, I don't know, I, I don't know if anyone else has this, but you imagine, like, Pokemon descending fully formed from the heavens, like, you just get blessed with it, and then you're like, nice, okay, I got Pokemon now. And I, no, someone actually made that, and that moment kind of pushed me toward uh, a games career. Um, I neurotically researched every single games course, like game art course in the country, um, and I decided to go study game art at De Montfort University in Leicester. Um, and yeah, I uh, kind of went from there, I suppose. I've covered quite a lot in quite a short space of time. I talk quite quickly, but I'm quite caffeinated. But it's nice, it stops me from doing it. Um, so there's two big things that I pull from that, and one, you mentioned about school, and that I think it's a really familiar thread that a lot of the people who end up in this industry feel quite alienated from that system and, mm. and the kind of academic path and that. Mm. It has a tendency to make us feel a little bit um, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the family response like in that respect? Were you encouraged to... It sounds like you had a real natural drive. Would that be, would that be true? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I was never really any person that could sit still, for very long. Um, I was also someone that never really had to be like pushed much. Um, like, I don't know, I was terrified of getting into trouble. Like, I would have a full meltdown if I forgot one of my exercise books. Yeah. Um, so, I kind of was still very much trying to keep on top of that. Um, but, 
Yeah, I actually had a really supportive kind of background with that. Like, there is a magazine that I still need to take back to my old art teacher as kind of like a look. I got I got into this magazine. I've got it's it's over a year and a half old now because I haven't had time to go back to my old school and give it to him. But like, my art teacher was so supportive because he lent me like a 600-pound graphics tablet wow. to just take home for like months at a time because I couldn't afford one. Um, like I had this really bad, like it was 60 pounds, the drivers didn't work and like it was, no, it, it was non-functional. So the level of support that I received from like the art department was yeah. unparalleled, which I'm very, very thankful for. It's, um, uh, these, these kind of accidental mentors in our path are really important and mm. um, it's, you can never quite predict where they're going to come from. Mm. Um, Anytime, but also it sounds like you're quite a hustler with the, the swaps for the guitar lessons and the, the kind of... <laughs> I mean, that was my dad. That wasn't me making those decisions. But, um, you kind of steered. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had a lot of, like, really lucky kind of moments of falling into things, um, which I think is something that yeah. has been my entire career. So. <laughs> it, well, it often is, and that's the thing that I think people struggle with. It's, mm. um, it's, it's that idea that it's completely different to academia in respect to that we do just kind of stumble to mm. a degree yeah. and there's no way of seeing where that person's going to come from or where that opportunity or that moment of inspiration and I, I really related to what you said about the, the fable loading screens mm. and you mentioned Final Fantasy I had a very I'm probably considerably older than you so PlayStation 1 I had a very similar thing it was like the, the, the first time I stopped to look at the, the, the booklet and the illustrations and thought somebody has done this I don't know yep. who I yep. don't know where I knew it was somewhere in Japan I knew that much but it's kind of like you I still didn't particularly consider that this was a job. Mm. Did you, you said about researching and kind of coming up with the concept art stuff. Was that the kind of advent of you going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this. And, and what were the steps then to, you said you went to university, but did you, did you go there with the idea that you would be working in games or was it kind mm -hmm. of, I'm going to go there and we'll see what happens? I wasn't aware of how many roles were available. Um, something that I do now is a lot of kind of like school outreach um, and I basically just rock up and I'm just like, sweet, so there's like a billion different jobs in game art that people don't know about because um, it's vital, like that's how games are sold. Like mm. you need to have striking visuals, whether it's in indie or in AAA, there are so many things that you can do with art um, and it is so broad. Uh, so I went to university being like, cool, I'm going to be a concept artist. Um, and then it turned out that there was uh, character art, uh, 3D environment art, uh, visual effects, uh, technical art is like anyone who can do technical art is just blessed. It's like much more like uh, coding orientated as well. You make shaders, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like I went in wanting to be a concept artist and I ended up gaining a lot of skills along the way that helped me get to the point that I am now. But I kind of, my progression is basically I started here, I wanted to get here, and I kind of went like that, and then <laughs> I ended up there. Well, I think that's the case for everyone. Of course. Um, but yeah, so I ended up doing a lot more 3D, yeah. um, which I was very cranky about for a while. I was very, very grumpy about it, but it's helped me a ton for a lot of uh, illustration reasons as well. Um, yeah. That's a very roundabout way of answering your question. I wasn't sure what I was doing, but I figured it out as I went yeah. along. Yeah. So. How, how much value do you... 
have you placed on fun and, and passion? Because it's to, to me, I've, as time's gone on in my career, I've realised that it's the biggest kind of mm. dowsing rod, compass that yes. you'll have. To, because it can be overwhelming when you suddenly learn that there are all these roles. Yep. And even within each of those roles, there's different companies and different, like you say, indie gaming or, or full big money studio. It, it's, it can be overwhelming. So yep. would you, is that something you're on board with? Absolutely. I guess I find that there are two routes with that because you have fundamentals um, and they can suck to learn. Like figuring out artistic fundamentals kind of hurts. Like you're just there like I have to do perspective again. Like we would, in my first year of uni, we got, um, we were told, okay, the first year is boot camp. It was actually called boot camp because they took us down to like the canal and they were like draw one point perspective until you get it right and don't you dare come back. Um, <laughs> And uh, that was difficult. Like, you had to spend time doing the kind of like the hard labor of uh, learning anatomy, of um, learning the tools and the software. And that is hard. Like, you just kind of have to push through that. But then on the flip side, you have um, like the more, once you've developed past that, it is absolutely all about following what most interests you. Um, like, I definitely went through a period of being like, cool, I want to get into games, so I'm going to try and learn how to draw mechs. And I don't <laughs> really, or, or like do super realistic 3D models. Yeah. And I would rather throw myself into the sun than do like <laughs> hyper real PBR sci-fi. Like that is so far removed from what interests me and that's okay. Like that is not what I like to do and that's all right. And I think as long as you are being very kind of fastidious and determined with nailing your fundamentals, when it comes to picking what you want to specialize in, once you've got those skills, listen to what brings you joy, like 100%, because you will learn much more organically if you're following that feeling, um, if you are kind of experimenting. Creativity is a very fluid and dynamic thing, and you can't just like, okay, sweet, that is the one thing I'm following. Because when you say yes to a lot of stuff, you can find yourself in places that you would not anticipate, uh, but in the best way, because you'll still be able to like take that and apply it to so many different mediums. Um, like uh, you're say I was saying about how um, your career often in creativity is saying yes to a bunch of things um, or kind of figuring things out as you go along. The entire reason why I ended up uh, getting into animation was because I was at an event talking about how people kept burning out of games and how we needed to keep people in games and then I spoke to uh, Jamie, the uh, lovely head of studio at um, Carrot Animation. He was like, hey, do you want to come work in animation and leave games? And I was just like, sure, let's go. Um, so <laughs> it's a whole lot of like saying yes to things that yeah. are interesting and exciting to you and following that because that's how you just absorb we're like we're doing we're doing this hopefully as long as the world doesn't burn like for the next 40 years right like we're here for a while it's gonna get boring if we just do the same thing over and over it's completely so. true it's, and i was quite shocked when i went through a phase of feeling down on illustration just mm -hmm. to echo that because i think we all have stories and, and go through phases of doing what we feel we should be doing and i think that's such a dangerous thing but it's also kind of essential to, to get to that point where you feel jaded with something you once loved. Mm. And it's kind of like a light bulb moment where you go, okay, this wasn't in the script. This is bizarre. Like, I love this thing. I know I love this thing, but something's not working. Mm. And you kind of have to 
go that weird side route or say yes to that odd thing mm. to, to reinvigorate the thing that you once loved. And I always find that I end up coming back full circle with mm. new ideas, new faces in my social circles. And it's, an, it's, it's also exciting, the unknowns and the kind of what door's going to open next. Terrifying, but also exciting. But there's no getting around the fact that that's creativity. Like you said, mm. it's this amorphous thing that never stands still. Um, so in terms of, to that end, in terms of actual entry points into the industry, like what were they and kind of, was that stumbling too? Um, kind of, I don't know. So um, I'm very lucky in that the course that I went on has a really solid kind of alumni uh, and there's a lot of people who will just, if they have a job and they get interest, they'll recommend someone. Um, but I mean, I definitely tried to be as visible as possible. When I graduated, I was, I didn't find anything for about six months. Um, and that's normal, that's totally fine. I know people that have taken like years to get in yeah. industry and now they've got their dream jobs. It's a process and that's okay. Um, but I freelanced for a while. I worked on a board game while I was doing that. I was also doing data entry temping. I did my uh, time as an art graduate, as a barista. It's very important. Like, you just kind of have to like sit and like grind away until your portfolio is there. Like, it's really, really fundamental. Um, and yeah, it takes time. But I eventually uh, got a kind of placement role, like a graduate role, um, at a little indie studio up in Chester, um, which was kind of like half supported by the government, like it was part of the um, skill set accreditation. I don't know if cool. that's still running. Um, but that was recommended to me by a friend. Um, and yeah, there was a whole lot of, like just when I was starting out, a whole lot of moving around and that kind of thing in that, in that first kind of jump into the industry. But yeah, it was like me and six other people, I think. It was a really tiny little studio. Yeah. Um, but it was a lovely jump. I got to do concept and uh, 3D. So already I was just like, no, let me paint. I realize I've been hired <laughs> as a, three arti a 3D artist, but I'm going to paint and there's nothing you can do about it. So yeah, yeah. a whole lot of that. I, I, exactly that. I echo the six months thing. It was, it was the, the, probably the toughest time of my career in that. Mm. You go from having all that time with tutors mm. in a studio that you kind of take for granted at the time. Yep. And, you know, there's always someone to ask a question or bounce off of, and suddenly it's all gone. And I found that really, really tough. Um, and to, to the same thing, I laughed when you said date entry because I was doing exactly that. I yep. worked in a factory where the guys wouldn't put anything but classic rock FM on the radio, and it was like, it's not a bad thing, but this kind of a loop playlist. Yeah, yeah. I, I say I was freelancing, like I still had contracts, but like I didn't really know how to like manage my time. And so I would like quite regularly just walk somberly down to Superdrug to buy shampoo just so I could talk <laughs> to another human because it was very isolating. Um, yeah, so it, it, took a, it took some time. Yeah. But um, like, I can now look back and be like, oh, at least I'm not, like, I, I wore out my thumb because I've had, do your stretches. Everyone stretch your hands, make sure. Because um, <laughs> I've had issues with my hands and like RSI in the past. And so I was like flicking through thousands of sheets of paper. So I started doing my entire data entry job like left-handed <laughs> so I could save like my right hand for like drawing all the cards for my freelance stuff. Um, it's not healthy. Not, it's not good. It was, but yeah, yeah. Um, not glamorizing that. Everyone get eight hours sleep and eat your vegetables. It's not good. It's not good. Um, but yeah, yeah. 
So I'm coming at this, again, like I said, from a, a naive sort of amateur perspective. What, explain world building to me, because I've seen you've, you've commented on the importance of strong world building in games in the past. Mm. Give us a little nutshell kind of breakdown of what that is and a rough sketch of what that entails in terms of roles and the people you might work with. Um, so world building, I guess it's when I say world building, um, it's making worlds feel real and um, like they have a history and a narrative. Um, and something that is a, like bigger than the player, bigger than um, the person just like the main character. Mm. Uh, it's that whole feeling of wanting to know what's around the corner and making sure the world makes sense. Um, and also making sure the world feels lived in. Like, I have a big problem with a lot of modern sci-fi in that, and I said this to you, um, you show me a blank wall in a sci-fi film or game and I'll give you a week before a person like writes their name on it. Like people inherently customize things, they scuff things, they mess things up, they spill stuff on the floor, they tape things back together. It's all about making a world feel dynamic and um, that it's had attention paid to it. So for me, it's all about putting that narrative in that game or that environment um, and keeping it uh, kind of just alive. So for example, a lot of questions that I ask myself when I'm creating an environment are things like, okay, so how do these people live? How do they build their homes? How do they build their homes dependent on how much money they have? Do they have money? Uh, what kind of weather do they experience? Do they experience a lot of rain? Does that influence the shape of their roofs? How do they get the rain off onto the ground? How do they collect drinking water? How do they move around their space? How do they decorate it? Do they decorate it dependent on different beliefs? A lot of places just anywhere in the world doesn't have just one single belief system. Like people have different ways of customizing, people have personality, and it's all about making that world feel interesting in that way. Um, and I think that is probably why so many people love Star Wars so much, everything, or one of the many reasons, uh, it's so tacked together like it's so personalized every every single fighter pilot has like a i don't know like like a uh, like the dice hanging from from the mirror right like mm. everyone has some stickers or like some scuffs where they got into a battle like nothing is clean and nothing in this world is clean either and it's familiar and it's friendly in that way um and i guess that's also kind of what i do with world building as well i don't tell don't tend to make scary stuff like I just wish I was Studio Ghibli at the end of the day um, <laughs> and so I make a lot of like very warm kind of environments um, and they have to feel like they make sense uh, they have to feel like there is an internal logic to them uh, and that makes us as humans feel at home I think um, so yeah just placing those guideposts like those visual guideposts um, that can take the form of a consistent design language or shape language um, or personalization that we get to kind of, as humans, kind of latch onto uh, so that we feel like we can be in that world as well. And it's interesting because you've got such a, a, a strong list of technical abilities, but everything you've described there, am I right in thinking that hinge upon you as a person, as a personality of the way you observe the world and because all of those things you just mentioned about logic and storytelling and all those crucial aspects to making a game authentic and successful, you don't get that from sitting entirely behind a screen yeah, it's or in a studio. related to polygons whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 I mean um, 
Yeah, I guess I've always just had it. And I think this is where my broad interest kind of comes from. Like, um, it's never just been art for me. Like, I like stories. I'm interested in people. Um, my favorite thing to do when I go traveling isn't so much like going to like view like big fancy monuments or um, tourist attractions. It's like seeing how people live. Like, I find that endlessly interesting. Like, um, and that's kind of what appeals to me. And that's totally fine if it doesn't appeal to you, that's, that's okay. But I, I just love kind of absorbing that information. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then there's the technical side of stuff as well that I like to kind of dig into, but that's because I've always liked computers. So I've always liked just kind of messing around in engines. And yeah, so I think it comes from a very broad kind of interesting yeah. stuff. It's a healthy balance, isn't it? It's, mm. Because we all, I, I love the days when I get to just sit in a studio and throw ink around and mm. ruin a few pairs of jeans. But yeah. at the same time, uh, what I'm creating really is going to start becoming cyclical if... I've gotten all that from Pinterest or from Google Images, mm. as opposed to, I mean, they're great resources and I use them, of course, we all do these mm. days, but it's, I think it's just pivotal to look up around you in the world and, and to actually trust the weirdo inside you. It's like, you know, the, the series of illustrations that I might create are drawn from something that I would have hidden away at school mm. because someone might laugh at it, but as you grow older and you get more deeper into this industry, you kind of realize that's your armor, that's your identity. Would you mm. say the same of yourself, that you draw up on that weird... I mean, I'm not saying you're weird. Maybe I hope I you are. I am weird. It's, it's a okay. compliment. It's a, <laughs> I, I only, know what I am. <laughs> I only ever say it as a compliment, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, my, my hunch is that you wouldn't be doing this, and you certainly wouldn't be doing this successfully if you hadn't learned to embrace that. I also think, yeah, absolutely, um, but I think it takes a while to find that. Like, oh, yeah. um, I have a slide that I sometimes show to students, uh, which is even just a small fraction of all of the art styles that I've tried to do. Because um, for a very long time, I wanted to be a Magic the Gathering illustrator. And to be honest, I still kind of do. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, I definitely um, tried to kind of follow that style. Um, but it didn't really resonate with me. Like you were saying before about that joy kind of feeling. People can tell when you've enjoyed making something. Like It really does shine in your work. Um, and so I tried to do that. I tried to do kind of more manga stuff. Um, I tried to be a little bit more kind of stylized and push and then more kind of abstract. Uh, but it just kind of took me just to kind of embrace and follow that kind of like, oh, but I really like cute, like Ghibli-esque, like tumble down buildings. And I also like witches like way too much. And like, <laughs> I just want to draw that, like all of those beautiful sunny landscapes that make people feel at home. But that took ages for me to get to that point, and a whole lot of like me trying to do edgy, like grim, dark concepts and that yeah. kind of thing, and like sci-fi for me to kind of get to that point. Yeah, um, yeah. I again completely agree. I go through it's kind of like that with me, where I'll go through high points where I just abandon all pretenses and kind of really embrace something that's mm. entirely me, without even thinking where it might lead. Mm. At the same time, I find these low points where I'm kind of thinking, well, what would somebody want to see in my portfolio? And, what? and I'm 36 now, and I still do it. I've been doing this 10 years. Um, so you're absolutely right. Ex these things come with experience, and that trust is never absolute, but you just learn to get a little bit better, and it gets a bit more consistent as you go along. That's what I found. And I'm, again, it's probably different for, for everyone, but it's part of the fun, and it's, I think mm. it's wonderful when you hit up on those moments. Or you, an opportunity manifests because of something that could only come from you. It's one of the best feelings that I get. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there was a really nice moment, because I've worked on um, a few different games now where I've been lucky enough to have quite a like, sizable impact on like, the world. 
Uh, and I was working, I was doing some art direction on this game called Arcus Path VR, um, and it was taken out to E3, um, and some, one of my friends was out there and did not know that I'd worked on it whatsoever and just saw the color palette and was like, did Anna Hollenreich work on this? And I'm just I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's because it's pink and purple. It's very, very pink and purple and fluffy cloud. Like, that is really nice. That's very fulfilling. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's... Having that moment of being like, oh no, I'm getting to do my authentic art is, is wonderful. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it took a while for me to get to that point. Like, for a while I was doing UI on um, a Magic the Gathering card game, like a digital card game, um, which I absolutely loved, but like, wasn't nearly so much like bright, sunny houses and that kind of thing. Mm. So, yeah, whole mix of things. <laughs> so, from your time in the industry so far then, to, to that end, my guess, because I think this applies to a lot of industries, but I really don't know about the gaming world, my guess is that there's a real balance to be found between the, the CV and the character. Thinking you know, of people you've come across, mm. is that something you've seen rewarded as in, okay, the degree is crucial, the, the, you know, the, the technical experience also, but can you think of any other instances of where you know, something's happened for someone or there's been a really great opportunity that's come around simply because someone's got a passion or a quirk or, you um, know? I mean, as a general rule in games, like, no one has ever asked me for my degree. Like, literally, never. Like, it's not... It's very useful in terms of the space and the training, but, like, the, pace, the piece of paper doesn't really matter to me unless I need to, like, move to a different country. Um... But it's all about just kind of like knowing people in that regard. Um, in terms of like getting specific jobs, I know that there's some people that have done fan art. For example, I think this was the case with Detective Pikachu. Uh, there's an artist that um, uh, was doing very realistic uh, renderings of Pokemon. And then uh, they ended up getting hired to do like creature design for Detective Pikachu. Like that's wow. absolutely something that wouldn't have been able to happen unless uh, they'd been so like invested in this one thing that they absolutely like loved and were really excited mm. about. Um, in terms of like CV versus portfolio, it's always portfolio that comes up at the top. Like of course experience is very necessary for like some roles, but like yeah, it's all about portfolio, making sure it's easily accessible and all your work is right there. Um, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I've had, I feel like most of the jobs that I've gotten have mostly been me just putting myself out there a lot and saying yes to things that scared yeah. me. Um, like, a whole lot of me stumbling into things. Um, I've not, like, had to apply for that many jobs because I've just kind of gone to a lot of stuff and just kind of been like, hello, I don't know what's going on, but I'm trying. Um, <laughs> and then, like, bumping into people and as a result of that, kind of um, ending up in some really exciting opportunities. Yeah. So I think just trying to be visible um, and putting yourself out there is great. Um, and also just really pushing portfolio stuff. Just okay. shouting about it on Twitter. Portfolio day was yesterday. <laughs> Everyone post your work. Um, yeah. And in terms of overlaps and kind of starting a particular project and a role ended up, did you find that it changes you know, within the job, as in you'll collaborate with a lot of other people and you'll be doing a bit of someone else's role and that kind of thing? Do you, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is um, you have to be fluid, right? You have, to, you have to kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's absolute specialists who just sit and do that one thing. Mm but it sounds like you've kind of bounced and collaborated and 
gelled. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get bored really easily, so I can't do one thing for that long. Um, like, that's why I like doing so much stuff. So, um, yeah, I get to do uh, concepts and 3D, uh, visual development, kind of engine work. Um, so that kind of lends itself to having a more broad overview. It lends itself really well to indie development as well. Um, it lends itself to smaller companies where you get to have more of an influence over the project. Um, there are tons of roles for specialisms. It's just not really for me. Um, but yeah, I have definitely found myself kind of bouncing around and collaborating. Um, I think uh, that's when I do my best work anyway, is when I'm kind of like wildly ricocheting off a bunch of different people. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, it's all kind of paying attention to what interests you. If you if you love to like deep dive into just characters or creatures, 100% do that. But if you're kind of just like slightly hyperactive and you just want to kind of like try out yeah. a bunch of stuff, then it lends itself well to like indie dev and that yeah. kind of thing. And so much of this stuff comes back to being sympathetic to your character. Yeah. And as we said, we don't always know what that is, and it takes a long time to yeah. learn that. But I think if you if you're honest and open about that, and like you say, if you are, I'm, I'm the same, I, have to, I need the variation, that's why I'm sitting here today. It's yeah. like, I should be illustrating, but I'm kind of, <laughs> but I love the creativity and talking to people about that, mm -hmm. and I find that, again, one feeds the other. But I also know people who've done the same thing for 30 years, and they're just as in love with it now yeah. as they were when they started, they're absolute specialists. Yeah. And I can't get my head around it, but I love it because that's them. I honestly wish I could be like that, but... I do sometimes, yeah. yeah. I just have a really loud brain, <laughs> so... <laughs> So I thought we could talk about um, a project. Yeah. Actually, give a bit of a case study about um, mm -hmm. about one of the jobs you worked on. So I thought Lola and the Giant might be a really cool yeah, yeah. example. So a, if you're happy a beautiful to, child. I'll let you take it on. Like, how did the opportunity come about? And, and let's go from there. Um, it was one of the weird ones. So uh, for a little bit of context, I worked on a game called Lola and the Giant, tiny little VR game, um, but very, very cherished. I think I got it too early in my career because. Uh, it was like a dream project where everyone loved it fiercely and we all cared about it so much. Um, and we never crunched, it was perfectly scoped, everything was like, it was so good. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, a VR game where you played as a little girl called Lola and she had her giant companion and you had to get back home, you had to navigate around some islands. Um, but it was an interesting one because I uh, stumbled into it completely by chance uh, I'd been made redundant about three months before the project kicked off, um, and I got scooped up alongside pretty much everyone else that I worked with uh, by Climax, oh, Climax Studios down in Portsmouth. Um, and I joined on um, as a 3D artist. I saw the project and was immediately like, Matt, who was my project lead? It's like, Matt. I am going to be painting on this, like, I'm going to do concept work on this. And they was like, okay, but the project hasn't started. And so I'd like rush through all of my texture work. And they'd be like, okay, cool, but can I do some concepts for it right now? Um, <laughs> and it was always like, they'd be like, fine, draw us a windmill, go away. Like, I was very, very annoying. Um, but I would kind of rush through all of that. And eventually, after a couple of months of development on a different game, they were like, fine, you don't have to paint any more, like, kind of, uh, uh, like, castle textures, you can go and do your art at this project. And I was so lucky that I managed to do this because basically they were like, okay, cool, sweet, do your art style at this game. Um, and so I had this incredible opportunity to build like the visual style. Like I had an amazing lead who was kind of like keeping an eye on me and being like, no, calm down, no, you're spending too long on that image. Um, 
And so I would do that. And it got to the point where, because I was doing 3D art as well, I would be given a gray box by the designers. So it was just a series of platforms in uh, Unity to walk upon. Um, or not even walk, like we didn't even have a walk cycle at that point. So it was just Lola and like T-Pose just gliding along. Um, and so uh, I would take that and then I would take screenshots of it and I would paint into it um, and I would kind of craft like the visuals for it and then there were a lot of technical challenges that I really got to like dig into there as well um, because it was a mobile VR game so we had very little like processing power to deal with so I was making sure that I built in a lot of angles into the art style so that it could look kind of low poly and chunky without it actually being like smart um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so it's like really kind of trying to play to the technical limitations that we had um, yeah, and so uh, I got to do a lot of uh, 3D art. Basically, I got to just take a level from start to finish in terms of like the 3D environment art, and then the VFX artists would come in, and then suddenly you'd be playing a build of it, and like it'd be an actual game, and I'd just be crying, and everyone would be like, Anna, what's wrong? It's like, it's so beautiful. Like, I get really, <laughs> I get really, really excited about it. I'm still, I'm not over it. The feeling of like a bunch of people suddenly like collaborating is like the greatest feeling ever um, yeah like uh, so I got to just do my art on um, on a, a project um, and yeah it was just magic it was absolutely magic um, and I'm very lucky to have like had the opportunity um, but yeah so a lot of um, 3d and 2d kind of interplaying in that way and it kind of just came from me being made redundant uh, at the right I time. Love those stories. Honestly, so many of my friends have been made redundant, and it's always the best thing that's ever yeah. happened to them. Like hands down, like yeah. it always like yeah uh, brings up incredible opportunities. Um, but yeah, uh, and I ended up getting to just have an incredible project because I was forceful and annoying. Um, <laughs> so there's the takeaway from this podcast. Um, but yeah, yeah. It sounds like there was plenty of learning curves on that project. Mm. Do you find that people in the industry are quite forgiving in, in terms of, you know, you're new to this, but you're passionate and you're good at what you do, so there are going to be little shortcomings here and there. Do you find that people are, are cool about that and they're happy oh, to yeah. work with you and help give you a leg up? Absolutely, absolutely. Like, my lead um, was incredible, like, um, and very much willing to kind of, uh, like, guide me when I was just kind of rapidly trying to get at like the next thing to tackle. Um, yeah, like I find that if people can tell that you're passionate, everyone just like kind of feeds off each other, like hype vampires, like in the best way. Like yeah. everyone's just really excited to make stuff. Um, and yeah, like as long as you're just endeavoring to hit deadlines and you're doing your best and you're being yeah. sensible and you're being nice to work with um, and communicative, like, yeah, it's, it's totally fine to make mistakes and ask for help, like, absolutely ask for help. Like, I definitely messed up in the, um, like, repository, which is where you keep all of the files. Um, and people were like, okay, it's like the programmers would exasperatedly kind of come over to my computer and be like, okay, these are all the buttons to tick. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, everyone is learning. Like, no one has any idea what they're doing, really, at the end. Like, we're all just kind of figuring it out, and then when it does come down to it, you usually know more than you think you do. Um, so it's usually a, a little bit of a relief. And if you don't, there's YouTube and Google. Like, like most programmers I know are just like, oh, yeah, we don't actually... We, 
a lot of the job is just Googling things and figuring out like what's, what's wrong there. Yeah. Um, most of games is just Googling things and just like going, <laughs> the only problem now is Unity and Unreal have been around for long enough that there are forum posts from like 2004 and you're just like, this is not useful to me anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, yeah. it's just a whole lot of asking questions. I also think you hit on a really important thing when you mentioned the importance of something being alive in terms of the, you know, the blank wall and that someone's going to write on it. Mm. I think that transcends discipline and even industry. I think, I think if it's artistic, it doesn't matter whether it's music, photography, illustration, games. I think if the thing feels alive, then it kind of, you bypass style. So, you know, there's trends can be dangerous traps. So, you know, maybe there's a tendency to think, okay, so I've got to use 2D vectors in my illustration because that's what's in vogue at the moment. But mm. if the thing feels alive, then does it not kind of lay waste to trends? I think there is definitely an aspect of that. Like, I think authenticity is the main thing to go for. Um, like, I get quite nervous because I guess witches are very in right now and I've been completely obsessed. Not, not that I'm being like, I like witches before, it was cool. Uh, not in that kind of way, but like, I've been kind of doing lots of kind of vaguely witchy things for a while and I'm just there like, oh God, they're gonna be out of fashion soon and I'm not going to be relevant and I'll be thrown to the <laughs> ground and everyone will be like, no. Um, but no, it's, um, I think authenticity is yeah. the main thing, like doing things that feel valid and interesting to you. Um, and that will kind of help it stand on its own. Like I think you can tell when something is made just because it wants to fit in with the current, like the current, thing of the moment. I'm trying to think, what the zeitgeist? There we go. $4 word <laughs> for you. Um, yeah, so uh, something, something that has like a soul behind it is always going to stand on its own far better than just being like, okay, cool. Let's get the committee together and let's, let's make a flow chart about what's popular right now. Like that's not, yeah. it's not nearly as interesting. Yeah, and often and, and the next big thing is, is kind of, you know, it's always unprecedented, isn't it? That's the, to a mm. degree, I think, too. I mean, you said that Lola and the Giant was very well received. Um, that's quite a new medium, working mobiles and VR. Mm. Um, so I guess there's freedom there to kind of to do that, to, to be passionate and, and be experimental to a degree and do something mm. that's quite fresh. I mean, with games as a whole, like, they are still such a new medium um, and people are still figuring things out as we go. Like, there is so little that I guess has been explored yet. Yeah. Um, like, you've got tons of more narrative games that are exploring much more kind of heavy themes. Um, like, games are a phenomenal empathy drive. Like, as a medium, they're like, incredible for literally putting you in those shoes. Um, there's a wonderful game called uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Um, it was BAFTA Game of the Year back in 2018. Um, and I can wax lyrical about that game forever because it's basically a series of vignettes. Uh, and there is one sequence in it where it does the exact same thing to you as the story of the person that you are experiencing, if that makes sense. Wow. Um, you are uh, being told the story through narration uh, of a man who works at a fish factory and all he does all day is take a fish down, behead it, and then push it along the production line. And that is what you start to do. You are just moving mechanically. And he, the story is about how he basically gets lost in his own world. Um, and through doing that, as you're being told this story, that world starts to take over the screen until you are 
doing the exact same thing as him. You're not even thinking about the fish. You're looking at the other thing. You're mechanically moving the fish and beheading it and pushing it away and beheading it and pushing it away. You're doing the exact same motion. Um, and this, you, you don't even see it at the end. And it becomes incredibly harrowing as the story progresses. Um, but it has this ability to put you exactly there to mimic those movements. Um, and I think just games as a whole in that way, uh, we've got so much to explore. Like as an art medium, there is so much there and it's very, very exciting. So. Wow, that's, that's kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get like VR and you get Beat Saber and you're just like, I feel like a king. Yeah. I feel like a god. <laughs> I hate boxes. So um, Beat Saber is also very good. <laughs> So, so where are we heading now? Is it, are you an ambition? Did you, did you sort of have any ambitions, specific goals? Or it sounds to me like you're kind of just having fun and, and, and seeing where it takes you. What's, are you, you know, where, what are you working on now and what's, what's coming up? To that I end? mean, at the moment, um, I can't really talk very much about it, but I'm working on a, a 2D animated show for CBBS, which is really, really cute. Very cool. It's so wholesome. It's so wholesome. <laughs> um, but... Uh, like, just as a whole, I think, because I've been doing a bunch of different things, and like, I almost was like, okay, I want to be an art director. I'm like, okay, I'm an art director now. What? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, now I kind of focus on shorter term goals. So, for example, I've always wanted to do conventions and table and uh, sell my art at Comic-Con. So, uh, like, tomorrow I'm going to be selling my art at Hyper Japan, uh, and hopefully that, it's the first time doing it by myself, and so hopefully it's okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole lot of uh, me picking something and pointing at it and be like, okay, cool, I want to try that thing, because it's always interested me. Um, so my goal this year was table at five conventions, and I've booked five, so... Mm. Um, but <laughs> now I need to do... I guess figure out the next thing, nice. but it's kind of just trying new stuff and seeing how that impacts like my own work. I really want to try and do enamel pins, and that'll help me understand more about graphics and uh, creating products. Um, I'd love to do some t-shirt design, which is more uh, pattern orientated, but I know how to do patterns because I used to do tileable ground textures in 3D art, so it's kind of funny how that's crossed <laughs> over there. Um, yeah, so I think as it stands, it's just working on stuff that interests me. Brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just follow the fun, I think, at this yeah. point. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, just a whole lot of muddling through, but it seems to be going all right. Yeah. So, I, th yeah. I mean, I, th I think there's so many kind of nuggets of advice in what we've already talked about, but is there anything specific that you'd hand back to, like, your graduating self that you would share with these guys who are coming out of uni? Oh, um, don't glamorize working yourself into the ground because it doesn't make you better than everyone. It just makes you exhausted. Um, I have had, and I've done quite a few talks about this. Um, like, I don't know about you guys, but like people would stand around at uni being like, oh, I only got three hours sleep last night because I'm better than all of you. Um, oh, I have five lattes and some caffeine pills because I'm working harder than all of you. Like, it's kind of like this showboating, like this kind of, um, I'm exhausted, but I'm working hard and that means I'm valid. Um, and it probably means you've not been doing what you were supposed to be doing, you lazy guy. Honestly, like, <laughs> I, I would just 
be like, okay, I'm going to work on fr on from dawn until dusk. I would make schedules for myself that would have no breaks in them, and it would just be like, I'm going to learn animal anatomy, and then perspective, and then human anatomy, and then I'm going to do some material studies, and oh no, hang on a second, it's like 10 p.m. And I've, I never actually did the schedules. I just made them to procrastinate from actually doing work. <laughs> and then I'd post them on forums, just being like, hey, you guys, I'm really I'm working so hard. So, oh. And everyone was doing this. We were all insufferable. Um, but yeah, it's this whole glamorization of overwork that is so dumb. And I wish I hadn't done it because I like wrecked my hands for like four months because I did an all-nighter and I posted stupid pictures of all of like the Pringles that I was eating up just like oh I'm doing an all-nighter because I'm great um it's, it's not worth it like it's also it has a later impact like the whole you know you're not sleeping anymore you can't like process things I got incredibly anxious I got incredibly depressed I was not in a good headspace um I had injured arms I was just not happy um, and it was because I had this incredibly toxic idea of what being productive should look like of what yeah. being creative and prolific should look like and at the end of the day if I had art block I should have just gone out and gone for a walk or like just hung out with people or just sat and scrolled through like tumblr or twitter or something and done something mindless and taken time out for me um, and taken time out with intention and because I've said this before procrastinating is way more exhausting than actually doing the thing you have to do. Like, you feel so guilty about it. So if, like, so if you're, like, burnt out, take time out with intention. Like, I literally, I will stand in front of a mirror and be like, you don't have to do anything, Anna. It's okay. You do not expect anything from this moment. And that helps me to just kind of take a step back. Yeah. This is a very long... I've suddenly got up on a soapbox, just like everyone no, no, rests. No, no, no. I, com um, I completely echo that and agree. It took me six or seven years of freelancing full-time to realise that I really shouldn't feel guilty about taking an afternoon mm. off to go and have a coffee or go and watch a film because yeah. at the end of the day, this is a creativity-led career mm. that we're doing. You have to look after that. That's part of your mental health is a creativity. Mm. So if you can't kind of... I mean, yeah, there are, there are deadline days, there mm. are projects, workloads, there's all that stuff, and that's part and parcel of it. But you really have to look after your mind and your inspiration, because mm. that's, the, that's the champion of what we're doing. So mm. I completely agree. I mean, yeah. I did the long hours at the start of my career when I first got a chance to freelance. Really valuable. I'm really glad that I did it. But you can quickly burn out, and you can, like I said at the back of the start, you can quickly lose the love of what you're doing. So I, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. I really yeah. do. And... and yeah, it's, there's a difference between working hard and working long, stupid hours. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, it was so funny. I went to Annecy for the first time, uh, Annecy Animation Festival, and I got back into the office, and I was just like, I have ideas. Like, I can think, oh, oh, I could put this thing in here. Oh, oh, what's this? What's, I was just like, Annie, you're just really tired. <laughs> like, you just went on holiday, and then you, like, sat by the lake and just kind of put your feet in the water and just yeah. kind of splashed around for a bit whilst listening to, like, some pretentious indie music and then suddenly you felt <laughs> creatively replenished and everything was all right. Like, it, I forget so often that I just have to take time out and creatively inhale. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, just not constantly be productive. Yeah, because it's a subconscious. Creativity that. is a subconscious thing and if you don't switch off the conscious, mm. when's that going to get the chance to come through, you know? Mm. And if you don't change up your environment, like we said earlier, where's the new inspiration and ideas yeah. going to come from? 
You yeah. know? It's an age-old thing, but we all do it. And, and, and again, it's a cyclical thing. You fall back into the trap because you love what you do, so you throw yeah. yourself at it. But, but yeah, to just, I think that's a fantastic thing to be aware of, and I think that's going to save people uh, a lot of years of upset, to be honest. Yeah, yeah everyone just, okay, just do hand stretches. Like, very, yeah, yeah, that's my takeaway. <laughs> do hand stretches, everybody. It's very important. Uh, well, so I think that's wonderful. And I'm going to ask you the last question that I drop on every guest, which is a shark in the tank. And ask for a love and a hate, or a positive and a negative, however you want to frame it, about the creativity in your work. Oh, um, probably the feeling of flow is the one that I love and hate, because it is hands down the greatest feeling on earth, and I'm constantly chasing it. But if I do get into like a hyper-focusing kind of like flow state, I become insufferable. Like, I'm so annoying. Like, I will not... Like, I currently... So, I don't know if you can... Can you see my fingers are peeling right now? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, I... My friend came over yesterday, uh, and she was like, oh, yeah, I've been playing, like, some ukulele. And I was just like, I'm going to learn guitar right now. Um, <laughs> and so, like, we, were, we just watched, like, How to Train Your Dragon. We'd eaten, we'd eaten a lot of chicken wings. We sat on my tiny, comedically small sofa, and I'm, like, playing guitar, and I've got, like, my phone balanced on my knee, and, like... I've started playing guitar, and then she's like, Adder, I'm quite tired. I'm like, that's great, but I need to learn the G chord. So if you could just shush. I realize it's 11 p.m. and you need to go home, but I need to continue learning. So I guess the feeling of flow is addictive, and that the biggest high on earth, like when you are in something and you're yeah. making something, but I'm constantly chasing that feeling. It's very hard to find, and when I'm in it, I literally play guitar so much that my fingers are peeling off. So, <laughs> eh. <laughs> Swings that. and roundabouts. Well, I think that's fantastic, and thank you so much for all that. I hope that's going to yeah, be thank you. valuable for everyone. Um, I think we've got a little time for some questions, yeah. uh, if anybody wants to, to get involved. Um, but if you could just like wait until the microphone has been passed on by Nicola, that would be awesome. Hi. Hello. Have you, any, have you got any tips for getting into indie development then? Into what, sorry? Indie dev. Like, indie dev? Yeah. Um, there's a really solid community for it on Twitter. Like, everyone is so friendly. Like, so friendly. Um, uh, and just kind of putting your stuff out there. Um, like, by and large, everyone is really willing to kind of share and chat. Um, there's like a few kind of indie dev touchstones that you can follow and then gradually kind of expand out from there. Um, one of my friends, he's phenomenal. He was uh, originally a programmer um, up at uh, Deep Silver, but um, he really wanted to uh, get into indie dev and he just started doing 3D modeling in Blender and was posting cute GIFs about it. And now he's doing that full time. Like he has, like there are so many people that I know that have just been sharing their work and talking to people and asking for help and collaborating. Um, and going along to stuff like develop right now is happening down in Brighton. Um, you don't even need to get a pass. You can get an expo pass for free. Just turn up and like, Go like there's like free tickets to parties and stuff, and um, that's really good. There's also the UK games industry Slack um, that uh, I think you might have to be working in games already, but there's so much help there. Like there are so many resources for games, um, and I think it's just the case of making things and putting them out there and. Uh, 
kind of just asking for help a lot of the time because people are very, very willing to like lift others up. Um, but yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend following the people that you look up to on Twitter um, uh, and just kind of expanding out from there. And like they, people post resources and that kind of thing all the time. And yeah. Hi, you said that you went to uh, events postgraduate. Um, what kind of events were they? Were like they all over the country? Were they cons? What 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 did you go to to promote yourself? Um, I mean, hilariously, like the one that I went to the most is industry workshops, which happens just below our feet. Um, but it's not on this year, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I didn't go to that many to begin with. I went to industry workshops. I went to mostly concept art stuff. Um, like, you don't have to be rocking up to like GDC or anything, because that's expensive. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, I've never been. But um, yeah, like if there is like an event that really appeals to you, um, definitely go to that. Like the first industry workshops, I've been to every single one that's happened. I just went like by myself. And that was actually a really, it was terrifying, um, but that was a really good way for me to meet people because like you're much less scary to approach and also approach others. Um, and so I ended up like just getting to know a ton of different people that way. Um, and then because I just kept going, you just build like a repertoire of people that you know, I suppose. Um, there's also uh, sketch meetups. I would be quite active on like forums or like um, Facebook groups, that kind of thing. Uh, so I would go to a lot of sketch meetups in London uh, and yeah just try and be like active in the community because when I was first getting into games I was much more kind of like just concept art focused whilst now I'm more kind of games focused um, so yeah it's like if there are events that appeal to you don't do it just because you feel obligated to because that's tiring and also expensive um, but if there's something that interests you um, just try and keep your ear to the ground like I straight up because I was like when I decided to get more engaged with the games community, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Someone please tell me what events are happening. And people were like, okay, cool. There's this one here that happens, this one here. Um, and the same thing with conventions. Like, I found a mailing list and like, I just have gradually figured out what to do through that. So it's just mostly me asking um, for advice uh, from people that seem to know what they're doing more than I do. And then I get kind of like pointed in that direction. So yeah. Can I, just to ask something further to that, because what I've, one thing that I found beautiful about this industry is that when you show a little bit of vulnerability and you just go in there and you go, this is where I'm at, mm. this is what I'd love to do, and just talk to people about the things that you're interested in and passionate at, mm. I've found the most, I mean, people, are, people who are passionate about creativity, no matter what the field, they, they want to just dump that on you. I, I, yeah. I, I do it all the time. If someone comes to me and goes, you know, I'm interested in illustration, pre prepare for like that much of an, yep. an email. Yeah. And I find that 90% of people are like that, and, mm. and particularly in that kind of space that you mentioned, the events that you're looking at, mm -hmm. if you found that that's what people are like. Oh, yeah. So um, one of my friends, she set up a mentorship program called Limit Break. Uh, and Great name. Pardon? Great name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's got some really nice, like, sword-orientated graphics. It's really good. Um, but she has... Everyone's just been like, no, we want to help. We're absolutely helping. Like it has been a like she's managed to get funding um, from like Sony and that kind of thing to support uh, like doing the events. Um, just because people are like, oh no, you really want to help. Like wow. there is this big push because I have had so much help from people 
there is such a big push to like kind of pass that along. Like my housemate, um, she is very like, uh, she's kind of mentoring someone at the moment and uh, she's just really excited to be able to do that for someone because it's this opportunity to be the person that you needed when you needed that, um, especially if you kind of had to fight for that yourself. Um, people are very, very willing to be good and decent if you just reach out, yeah. I tend to find. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just scary to do that. Um, oh, yeah. But when you do, lots of good things can happen. Yeah, so. and, and, and just to add to it, I'd say do that in the way that you do it. If you're an introvert, it's cool. Do it, do it via email, mm. do it via direct message. Do it the yeah. way that works for you. If you're an extrovert and you've got no problem going into a pub and talking to someone who's just done a talk or whatever, do that. It's, yeah. it's, again, it's just being true to you, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Great, well, thank you, Ben and Anna. That was fantastic. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you to our audience as well. Thank you so much for checking in and listening to this episode with Anna Hollinrick. Thank you to Anna for taking the time to come all the way down to DNAD's New Blood Festival where we had that live conversation. Thank you to the live audience and thank you to all the guys, especially Nicola at DNAD, who, who placed the faith in me. Um, that's what i got to say. So, you know, when I'm putting this thing on hold for a little while, coming up soon, it's amazing to think that this has been going on for four years. Um, like I said, definitely not the end. It may come back in another incarnation. That remains to be seen. I have a brain that doesn't sit still, so no doubt this will return. But when Harry sat down and said to me, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll support this thing, we will sponsor you, and we will give you money to do this thing from the agency uh, as long as you shout about us, that was a huge leap of faith for someone who'd done about four interviews at the time um, on a campaign that I self-initiated for CALM, which is a male mental health charity. So I was thrown in the deep end because we didn't have any budget. That was a self-initiated campaign. But we actually got the chance to talk to John McClough from Ronan the Makers, Stephen Merchant, comedian and writer, Danny Dyer, actor, Mick Foley, ex-pro wrestler and WWE champion, uh, Tucker, an Australian rapper. I got to interview these amazing people and what I found is that I loved it. Um, and then I got to interview Ken Garland, who's a personal hero of mine, along with Mick Foley, British graphic designer, really prominent in the 1960s, done some crucially important work for graphic activism and very, very valid causes in society. And what I found is I loved it. And this conversational style was the only way I knew how, but it seemed to work and put these people at ease. Um, so that's why I wanted to do these things. So to get that kind of confidence from someone like Harry, who is the MD of my illustration agency, uh, who would have been well within his rights to say, no, what are you talking about? Go and, uh, go and be an illustrator, that's what we're paying you for. They didn't. And those guys, especially Harry, have got 100% interest, belief, and confidence that everything we do as artists creates a biosphere that feeds us as illustrators, as visual communicators, and only enhances the work and therefore the agency that they uh, have built from the ground up. And what I would say after 10 years of running around this industry doing a little bit of everything is that that's completely true. Everything I've ever done, whether it's quenched music at the start, writing champagne and wax crayons, talking for students, talking for industry, talking for high school students, writing opinion columns for Design Week, all this stuff that I've been running around doing, and often for not very much money, has 
kind of fed into me being a visual communicator. And that's why I feel like it's the right time to go and concentrate on that now for a little while and channel all of that stuff, all the things I've learned, and see what happens with my artwork. So that's why the little break's happening. So anyway, like I said at the top of the show, thank you for all the support over the years from everyone who's been doing this. We're going to have two more episodes coming up with Cam and Masson and then Dion Kitchen, and then I'm going to take a little break and we will see where this show goes beyond that. There's definitely going to be more episodes, but they won't be regular, they won't be scheduled, they will drop as and when, and I'm going to use it as a part of my studio to keep that biosphere that um, that I've created over the years because I think it's vitally important to get inspiration far and wide. So that's enough on me about that from me. Um, like I said, thank you for tuning in. Two more big episodes coming up, probably loads more down the road, but for now it's going to be a little breather. Um, Keep an eye out for the next two episodes. They're going to be here, as ever, every other week. So two weeks from now, you'll get Karma. And then another two weeks, you get Dion Kitchen. Uh, so for now, everything is good. Everything is normal. Don't panic. <laughs> um, what else? What else? Thank you to those sponsors, illustrationweb.com, the Association of Illustrators. Um, the sponsorship with Heart Internet has ended now. Um, File Call has ended too. But I also want to say thank you to Printed.com and those two guys for their support over the duration of this podcast uh, and the Association of Illustrators, DAY.com. Go and check them all out. They're all fantastic companies and I never took anybody on board as a sponsor who I didn't think you guys would benefit from. So I hope you agree. I hope you go and check out the services. They're all great guys. Um, Cheers for listening. Two more to go. Let's do it. Have a good week.